I'll read verses uh, 24 and 25, just because we're kind of, we don't want to break into the middle of a sentence. So beginning in Colossians 1.24, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So when it comes to verse 25, when he talks about being a minister and the stewardship that God has given him, uh, the main point that he's making is to Paul, and the main point that Paul is making to us, is that God has assigned to all of us, I believe, a specific ministry. So on one hand, our ministry is always the same. None of us have different ministries. They're the same. That is the proclamation, the declaration, the explanation, and the living out of the Word of God. That's what it is. We do that in different ways. We do that when we're helping other people. Uh, you know, we are letting others see that God has changed our lives. Whenever we have conversation uh, with an individual, if we talk about the Lord, we talk about answered prayer, it can be a lot of different things. There's a lot of different ways to do that. So it doesn't mean that you have to be someone who's always teaching in a formal way, or maybe even preaching in a formal way. So the ministry is to communicate who God is to others. That's another way to put it. And so we all are supposed to be doing that. Uh, and it's, it's supposed to be done really, I guess you would say, kind of in a natural way. Uh, we, we live our lives. As God changes us, we become different. Um, and then there's different opportunities that come our way. Sometimes people ask questions. Sometimes we ask them questions. There's different ways that that happens. Um, sometimes we have opportunities to be able to sit down and explain to somebody, maybe the whole gospel. Other times, it's just in bits and pieces, depending on what's going on. Um, but all of us have really been called by God to do that. So we, we need to kind of think in those terms um, as Christians. So when it comes to that, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul affirms that God gives us spiritual gifts. Um, so if you've been coming on Sunday mornings, last year at some point we were going through 1 Corinthians and uh, we, we got into chapter 12, and we talked about spiritual gifts. The main thing, remember, is that every single person who's a believer has a spiritual gift. Uh, there's a couple of views on that. Some people believe that you can have more than one spiritual gift. Others believe you only have one. I tend to be in that group. You don't have to be dogmatic about it. Um, but I also know that when it comes to growing as believers, there are many spiritual gifts that also coincide, or maybe I should say this way, they're also the same as a spiritual gift. Like there are those who have the gift of mercy, but all of us are to be merciful. The longer that we're Christians, the more merciful we become. But there is a gift, a supernatural gift of mercy. So that's why I'm not really a, a big proponent of those spiritual gift tests. I don't think it's helpful. Uh, because if you take that test, if you took, it, took one now and took one in five years, it would be different. And your spiritual gift doesn't change. So I don't think it identifies your spiritual gift. Um, normal, the normal way it goes is that your spiritual Number one, let me just get rid of this thing. You do not have to know what your spiritual gift is, which is kind of a strange way to put it. You don't have to know it, all right, to exercise your spiritual gift. You live your life in obedience to Christ, and it will, it will begin to come out. And others normally will recognize it before you do. Um, if you do know what your spiritual gift is, that's fine. All right? That's not a bad thing. But some people think that you have to know what your spiritual gift is before you use it or exercise it. And that's untrue. Um, it sounds kind of, it kind of goes against 
the normal way we think, but I would say just relax, don't worry about it. Um, uh, and I think most of the time, this is just from experience, most people really don't know what the spiritual gift is until after they've been a believer for years. And they look back, they go, you know, I think this, and I've also heard people say this, well, I used to think my gift was this, but now I think it's this over here. But sometimes I'm not so sure because I think it might be, you know, it's okay. <laughs> All right, so if you know it, fine. If you don't know it, fine. The key is that we live in obedience to what the Word of God says. And uh, I believe that as we do that, we pursue those things that interest us and that, will normally, uh, end up, that we will normally end up then using that gift that God has given us, whatever that field is. Um, God leads us through circumstances, through His Word, through other, other believers and opportunities. And we want to take advantage of them. Yes. Where does it uh, say uh, the gift of mercy? I looked here in 12 and I didn't see it. Well, yeah, there's three different places where there's gifts that are listed. There's Romans, 1 Corinthians 12, and I don't remember what the other one is. Um, okay. But anyway, so the, the idea there is that what we need to make sure that we do is that um, we are pursuing living our life in a way that pleases the Lord. And if we do that, um, then we will... Uh, uh, we will fulfill each one of those things. So one of the primary purposes of a believer, again, on earth is to be a minister, which just simply means a servant of God. And so we should ask ourselves, how are we doing with that? Um, the idea, again, is that we don't just sit and just l learn what the Bible says. That's part of it. But we don't only do that. Uh, we want to be used by God in the lives of others. Again, in whatever, whatever way that comes, um, it, it, you know, it doesn't have to be something that we have to we have to try to make happen, uh, or what have you. So, so verse 26 and 27, he says this. Uh, again, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So again, the wonder and the glory of abiding in, uh, of the abiding, indwelling Christ. Remember we talked about Christ being in us, the Holy Spirit being in us. All those are different ways to say the same thing, that God is within us. Um, the idea of Christ abiding in us or the idea of the Holy Spirit living in us was not real clear in the Old Testament. Um, it became more clear in the, uh, in the New Testament. And what was new for a lot of the Jews who were becoming believers is the idea that the Spirit of God would live in Gentiles. Because they, they never thought that would happen. Um, and they never even thought in those terms. They, they never thought, they only thought the Holy Spirit would indwell only certain individuals. So the thing is, is that uh, we have Christ living in us. That's what Paul has been talking about. So this aspect of the work of Jesus and his people, again, that's a mystery uh, that, that, that um, the Bible speaks about. One of the great things about the mysteries in the Bible is that a mystery is normally something that was at one time hidden and now has been revealed. So it's, it's, it's not, no, it's, in other words, it's not any longer a mystery. So this mystery that he's talking about here, the mystery that was hidden for ages and hidden for generations, has now been revealed to his saints. And what he's been talking about is Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. That's what he's been getting at and what he's been, been pressing. So he's been talking about the preeminence of Christ, and then after that, and, and talk about the preeminence of Christ, he's then uh, pushing this idea or reminding them this, uh, of this idea that Christ is in them. Uh, and that is the work uh, that he's talking about. So there's a, a phrase, I think it's in your notes, 
uh, it's a Latin term called dus, uh, uh, dus obsecantidus. I'm not very good with Latin, but anyway. It's a term that refers to hidden God. Uh, so if you read some theological books, sometimes you come across that. And basically what they mean by that is the term hidden God means the God that cannot be clearly seen or known. And then the, the Latin theological term, term dus relevatus, which we could guess would be revelation, reverse to the revealed God. So the idea, is all they're trying to do with that is to help us to recognize that there are many aspects of God that were hidden in the Old Testament. And now because of Christ, these things have been revealed to us. And so there's more of God that we know, that we understand. Uh, and, so, and, be, and as a result of that, there, that's the message that we share because God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself to mankind. He's done so through um, Jesus Christ. So God can be known. So, God is, so there's not this mystery about God. You know, there's a lot of individuals who talk about being interested in spiritual things or they want to pursue God. Uh, and, and there's a lot of unknowns about God. The good news is that God has revealed himself to us. And he's revealed himself to us again through the pages of the word of God and primarily through his son, Jesus Christ. We then as individuals, uh, because of Christ dwelling in us and because we have the word, we're able to share a lot of those things with other individuals. We can talk to them. So it's a, simple, a simple explanation or illustration would be this. So... Let's say that you're talking to an individual and the individual has asked you to pray for something in their life. Maybe, maybe there's a sick child in their family or something of that nature. And let's say that you agree that you would pray for their, for their sick child and maybe you ask them, so why, why do you not pray? And so they may say, well, I don't think God would hear me because of such and such and such and such. Yeah. Now, before you say, oh no, God's not like that, that that actually may be correct. Remember, if they're not a believer, uh, there's no, God's not going to hear their prayer. He can hear it, but he's not going to answer the prayer. So that gives us an opportunity to share what we know about God. Remember, we know him. So we can explain that um, uh, to them that perhaps the reason why they feel that way is they have a sense of the wrong they've done in their life. There's no way they can find either forgiveness or find a way to get a right standing with God. And so they've asked someone else to pray. And so we know that about God, and we can share that with them. I was reading a, reading a story once. John MacArthur's on a plane, and he was sitting next to a very, very rich Arab man who was a Muslim. And I won't tell you the whole story. I was, I was only going to tell you the beginning. It's a great story, but I'll just tell you the beginning. So in the beginning of the story, they're, they're, they're talking about religion. And most, uh, especially Muslims from the Middle East, really like to talk about religion. They, they love that. So they were talking about the differences between Christianity and Islam. And through the course of the conversation, uh, John MacArthur asked the, the, uh, the Muslim man, do you believe that God would forgive you? And he says, well, I don't know, perhaps, maybe, I'm hoping he will. And so then John MacArthur says, well, I know God and he won't. And so the man said, wait, you know God? And John said, yes, I talked to him this morning. And the guy said, wait a minute, you, you know God and you talked to him this morning? And, the, and John said, yes, I, I talk to him every morning. Oh, 
You, you talk to God every day. <laughs> and John said, yes. And he, the guy says, does he talk back to you? And John says, oh, most assuredly. He speaks to me through, he speaks to me through his word. And this guy was blown away by that. And sometimes what we forget is that we can, with confidence, say a lot of things we know about God that other people don't know. They don't know these things. You know, they hope, maybe, whatever. It may not be as dramatic as it would be with that individual. But you remember, you know God. You know how God forgives sin. You know how God answers prayer. You know that we can pray. You know what the requirements are for heaven. You, I mean, there's a lot of things that you know theologically other people don't know or they don't know with confidence. And so there's a great deal that we really can share with people. And the reason why I say that is because I do know many people, and I don't know what the percentage is, but many Christians believe that they cannot talk to others about God because they don't know enough. You know enough. You may not be able to answer every question. That's true for all of us. We may meet somebody that will ask questions we can't answer. There's no shame in that. You just say, man, I, I wish I knew the answer to that, but I know I can find out. And that gives you a great opportunity to force them into another conversation later. Because you say, I'm going to find out the answer, and when I get it, let's meet again so I can tell you what I find out, because that's intriguing. What are they going to say? No, I don't really care. I mean, it's like, well, why'd you ask the question then? But the idea, so what happens is, is you have this, you have this opportunity. But remember, you know enough, and you know way more about God than you think you do. We just haven't thought of it in those terms as far as what you know about God theologically. Remember, just the idea that God has created the universe is a theological idea. That's a theological truth. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's theology. Jesus lived a perfect life. That's theology. We understand the atonement. That's theology. That's, that's all that it is. And you and I know that. And so we need to make sure that we recognize that and ask God, I think, really for, for us to recognize the opportunities that he gives us to be able to witness to him. So again, Christianity, in stark contrast to what's called the pagan mystery religion. There are a lot of mystery religions that were around when Paul... Uh, was going around from place to place and sharing the gospel of Christ. But again, when, when Paul uses the word mystery, or what he calls a mystery, a mystery, a mystery is always a truth um, known only to the initiated, but the initiated for Paul is always the entire body of Christ. Okay, so we are part of that group. We, we know the mysteries. Uh, I forget, someone's done a study before. I think there's... I don't, I don't remember if, the, if it's five or seven, uh, but there's five or seven mysteries detailed in Scripture. One of these days I'll get a list. In fact, I have a list for you. It's in your notes. I was just teasing you. All right. There's the mystery of the incarnate God. That's Colossians 2. There's the mystery of iniquity, 2 Thessalonians. The mystery of the rapture, the mystery of Babylon, the mystery of the church, the mystery of the bride, and the mystery of Israel's unbelief. Uh, you may know more about some of those than others, but all of those mysteries have been revealed to us, and we know them, uh, and we understand them. 
Uh, and so we are able to share with others the mysteries of God uh, to help them to understand who God is. Remember that we live in a unique situation where we are surrounded by and live in the midst of a culture that tends to be generally apathetic. They don't really care. They don't think that uh, spiritual things are that important. They don't think that spiritual things really matter that much. They don't think it's anything that really affects them as individuals. That's just kind of the, the general attitude. So it can be difficult to have this kind of conversations. In, in many other countries, uh, they believe spiritual truths are the most important things. Uh, and, and they gladly and willingly talk about those things. And so I would encourage you to, uh, to try to find, we can just try to find different ways to bring it up. And there's a lot of ways to do that, which can be quite fun. So again, the idea here that Paul is getting at is that the, that the mysteries of God have been revealed to us. We are part of the initiated group. Uh, these things have been made known to us. They have been revealed. Uh, they have been preached, and we understand them. So in the present passage we're looking at, again, the mystery that he's talking about is the union of redeemed men with God in Christ. And of course, that forms the church, which is Christ's body. So again, the idea of Christ being in us. Uh, is what he's been talking about. So verse 27, again, he says, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So with the wording there, to make known, the word to make known there, that comes from the uh, Greek word, which is gnosko, uh, which means to acquire information, uh, by whatever means uh, you have available to you. Um, but normally, with the word gnosko, it, it means that there's a personal involvement in the gaining of this knowledge, or maybe a personal experience. So it means to cause information to be known uh, by communicating things. Um, in Weist word studies, he translates that word uh, to make known in an experiential way. So the implication with that word is that the truth is not just for our intellect, but it's meant to affect our heart. And so we talk about that, that when we come to Christ, uh, the idea is that I, I don't only think about God differently. In a sense, we could say that I, that I feel differently. I am I, affected by the truth of the Word of God. I, I become convicted by my sins. I become convicted of my need of Christ. I become convicted of my need of Christ every day. Uh, and so there's an effect on me. There's, there's a desire when we, be, when we become believers to do good, to do right. Um, people talk about um, sometimes when they, when they first become believers, they wanted to read the Bible. Uh, and the reason why they wanted to read the Bible was because God had given them a new hunger for that, uh, a new thirst for the scripture, uh, a thirst for knowledge. Um, some individuals, I think I've told you before, there's some guys who have these really and women too, really high IQs, and they'll talk about things like, well, when I first became a Christian, uh, you know, I, I, my friend had given me his Bible, and so I started reading it from Matthew, and I read, I mean, from Genesis, and I read all the way through into Revelation, and they did it like in a week, and they said, it was so interesting, I did it again. <laughs> I'm like, man, that's incredible. Uh, but, there's that, but there's that idea that's kind of mixed in there that is to affect us. So one of the things I think that should uh, that we should think about as Christians is this. Um, that is, we can ask ourselves, am I still affected by the presence of Christ in my life? 
So it's not necessarily that you have an experience that, you're, that you feel it, right? Because it's, it's more than that. The idea is, is that are the desires of my heart changing? You know, do I, do I still have a hunger to know what the Bible says? Do I have a, do I have a desire to be with believers? Um, do I have a desire to worship God? Um, do, let, let's say that you miss church a few times. Does that, when I say that bothers you, not just that you feel guilty because you're not there. It's, not, it's more than that. It's the idea that you feel like you're missing something. You feel like it's negatively affecting you um, because you're not with believers. You're, it's like it affects your growth. That, and so we need to ask ourselves that from time to time to make sure that we're still in a, in a situation or position that, uh, because we should want our lives to be affected. All right? So again, it's not always an emotional thing. All right? so it's kind of like, it'd be like marriage. In marriage, you don't always feel maybe this really, for lack of a better way to put it, like hot passion for your spouse, but your life is affected by that individual and you want your life to be affected by that individual. All right? Your whole life is directed into a new direction. Because of that individual, and that—that's kind of the idea. Yes. This is a mystery to me. Mm. Uh, Paul talks about being adopted into the family of God. Yes. Jesus said, "You must be born again. Mm -hmm. You've got to be born into the family of God." Why does Paul talk about adoption, and Jesus said, "You must be born into the family." Well, being born again. Um, being born into a new life because we were spiritually dead is the main emphasis of that. Adoption is a word we use to emphasize the permanence of the fact that we are a member of the family. We, and we are adopted because we are, we're not like Jesus. Okay, so we're, not, so we're not a natural born son. We are adopted into the family. We're brought into the family. We were the enemies, now we're brought in, in, into. The process that takes place for that to happen is we become born again spiritually. And when that happens, which a lot of that's all simultaneous, when that happens, that's the moment that we are adopted or maybe engrafted, there's that term is used to, into the family of God. So when we repent and believe in Jesus, mm -hmm. he borns us. We're born again, yeah. right? Yeah, we're born again. And, then, and at that moment, also adopted. I wonder why Paul used adopted instead of because the emphasis is on the permanence of, of the relationship we have with God. Yeah, and that's, that, that's what he's emphasizing. That. So adoption back then, which it is also today, people just aren't used to it. It's a very strong, powerful term. Remember that in, under Roman law, it's that way under American law, a, an adopted child can never be disowned. So I do think that part of the reason why the word adoption is used is to allow the believer to understand the permanence of this relationship they have with God. You, you're never gonna, you're never gonna not be His child. You're never gonna be, you'll never be disowned. You know, you'll never lose your salvation. You always, you will always belong to Him. Nothing can undo adoption because, and the strength of adoption is based on who's behind the adoption, who enforces that. Well, in the relationship with God we have, it's God who's behind that. And also. Uh Jesus using the word born. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any word that's used or that can be meaning unborn. So when mm -hmm. you're born, you're, you're there and mm -hmm. you're permanent also. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, there's a, remember now, the Bible oftentimes uses a lot of different terms for certain things uh, to kind of to, to paint a full picture for us. So we can, gra- so we can grasp every, I guess you say, every facet uh, of what's gone on. Um, I think both adoption and being born again also emphasize the fact that we're not doing anything to make it happen. I didn't make it happen. You know, like I didn't make my birth happen, and I didn't make my adoption happen. Um, you know, my youngest sister's adopted. When we adopted her when she was, I think, five months old, my parents did get her from an orphanage. So my parents went in to basically to pick her. Um, she didn't stand up and say, you should pick me, I'll be a good daughter, because she was five months old. Uh, so she had nothing to do with it. Um, sometimes I wonder why, because I've, I've talked to her about it. I, I, I've asked before, I said, have you ever wondered what, what would have happened if my parents had just had randomly, they picked someone else? I don't know why they, I don't know why they picked you. Wait, who knows? Um, my mom said that after having, giving birth to me, she said she knew she never wanted another boy again. So, <laughs> but nonetheless, the idea is is that uh, the the I think the permanence of what's behind adoption in it is it's what's really being emphasized by Paul. That's a good analogy. We yeah. didn't have anything that would be born again. Right. We wouldn't have anything that would. Correct. Be yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Um, so again, the idea then of the truth of Christ is. And in particular, the truth of Christ in us is, again, not something that's only for our mind or intellect, but it's, it's meant to affect our heart. Or to, and remember that in the Bible, when you see the word heart, remember, it's not quite like English. In English, when we think of heart, we think of our emotions. You know, I live with my whole heart, you know, that kind of thing. But for the Bible, the heart really is, is a word that's used to encompass the, the emotions and the mind and the will. It's all of it. It's the, it's the whole whole thing. Uh, if they were to speak about something just being affected by your emotions, then they would say, I love you with my whole gut. <laughs> Which would sound really odd today. Uh, to say that to a girl. I love you with my whole gut. You know, but uh, <laughs> it's just not how we think. But again, but, but, it, but again heart is something that emphasizes that, that full-orbed aspect of who we are which again is the emotions, the intellect, and the will. So again, when he mentions, when he says Christ in you, let me read to you what F.F. F. Bruce said. F.F. F. Bruce was a, was a scholar. Uh, some of these men, and there's a few women too, but some of these men that are scholars, they're, they're, uh, there's really some cool stories about them. Some of these guys, their intellect is insane. So there's a story about F.F. F. Bruce. He was taking uh, Hebrew and Greek when he was in seminary, and apparently he was like this brilliant student, just brilliant. And apparently um, on, this, on, on the Greek assignment they had, they were told to memorize a certain passage in Greek, and then they had to say it to the Greek professor, and then explain it like you would a commentary, along with this word, this is the verb, this is the tense, this is all that kind of stuff. And so apparently, on this one evening, F.F. F. Bruce didn't do his homework. He forgot. And his study partner, who was pretty smart, knew F.F. F. Bruce was not ready for this. And so then the professor, when he starts class, the first person he picks on is F.F. F. Bruce. So, F. F. so this guy says, so what did he do? 
He looked down at his Greek text, and it was open to John something. So he just looked down, and he looked up, and just quoted five verses from the Greek, and explained it perfectly, and explained all the tenses of the verb, all the rest. And, and the professor said, wow, that's magnificent. You must have spent hours on it. And he said, my friend F.F. F. Bruce, he didn't lie. He just said, thank you. <laughs> he said, but I know the truth. And that bum didn't even spend 30 seconds doing that. So anyway, that's F.F. F. Bruce. So he says this. He says, Christ in you, he assures his Colossian readers, Christ in you, even in you Gentiles, as the hope of glory. The fact that here and now, as members of his body, you have his life within you. It affords you a firm hope that you will share in that fullness of glory which is yet to be displayed. On the day of the revealing of the sons of God, Christ himself is the center and the circumference of this mystery. By his death and exaltation, he has brought it to accomplishment. And those who are united to him are inevitably involved in its accomplishment, in measure now and in perfection hereafter. Knowing God, then, is the most exciting thing that can ever happen to you. Knowing God is the secret of excitement and vitality in a life. People who know God are never bored, for the opposite of knowing God is boredom. If you are bored, as a Christian, it is because you do not adequately know God. In his presence, it is impossible to think of anything else. He is an exciting, captivating being, filled with fresh ideas, concepts, and possibilities, of which you never could have dreamed. So let me just kind of do a quick side note so that make sure we don't beat ourselves up too much. If you are bored at moments in life, that doesn't mean you're not a good Christian. We all get bored at times just because we're not, you know, we're not doing things. But he's talking about being bored with Christ or being bored as a Christian. And the idea is, is that we're never bored as a Christian. Um, now, I do believe this. If we aren't walking as we ought to walk, we can move to a state of spiritual boredom because we're regressing. All right? Remember that, that if, we, if we don't, remember that spiritual hunger is the opposite of physical hunger. So physical hunger, you eat, you become satisfied, you're no longer hungry unless you're a 16-year-old boy. All right? When it comes to spiritual hunger, when you eat the Word of God, it actually stimulates your appetite for more. That's the idea. You want to know more. So... You may not experience this, but I do. So I'm, right now I'm reading a book on eschatology. That's prophecy, future things. But it's comparing the six different views of eschatology. And it's really focusing on hermeneutics, which is interpretation of scripture. That book is, to me, exciting. I can't get enough of that. I, I'm, I read that. I am just eating that up, even though I'm in my 60s. I'm still learning. And some of these things I already know, but I want to know it better. And it's just awesome. So my wife says that's when I'm in my, when I'm in my weird moments. But the idea is, is that it doesn't have to be through reading. But the idea is, as a Christian, when we think about our life, when we think about the Bible, it doesn't always mean that you're bouncing off the walls. It doesn't mean that. Remember, we're all different um, emotionally. So even when I talk about how, when I'm reading how excited I am, I'm, I'm not giddy. You know, I'm not like running, woohoo, you know, kind of stuff. That's not happening. But there's kind of like a, there's a, a mental energy 
That's what I experience. There's a mental energy that's like, it's like throwing logs on a fire. Man, it's just like, I just, I want more and more. I was reading today, uh, so on Wednesdays, I, I go to Starbucks. I know that's shocking to some of you. I go to Starbucks about one o'clock so I can just read and study for two hours before I go to football practice because I coach football. And today I was so bummed because I'm in the middle of this thing I'm reading and I check my phone, it's three o'clock. I'm like, oh, I gotta go. And I didn't want to go. I wanted to, you right? So there's that thing that's going on. So the idea here is, is that being a believer, all right, it is exciting. Just don't think of it in terms of only the emotional thing because we're all different. But there is, there is a vitality to it. There's an energy to it. There's a lot of different kind of terms that we could use to explain maybe our experience. I don't always like that word, but we'll use that word. Our experience and our walk with the Lord. Yes, we have our ups and downs as Christians. We all have, we have that. Um, but there's this, again, I, th- I just think there's a hunger. And I think sometimes the hunger can be stimulated this way. It's not, you're not necessarily aware of it. And let's say you go to some seminar or you go to some Bible study where they're focusing on something that you hadn't really either thought of before, or maybe it's just a concept that's presented in a new way, or it's something new, and you get really excited about it. Where did that come from? I was talking to a young man. They used to go, they, they, there was a young man in our church. He, had, he and his wife had been married for about a year. He grew up in Savannah. They, they ended up moving away uh, because of work. But he, when he came here, he was a new believer. He'd been a believer for about, I don't know, maybe a few months. So there was a group of us that was going to, we were going to go to, to what's called a Ligonier Conference. It was down in Orlando. It's an R.C. Sproul thing. And the way a lot of these conferences go, uh, you, you go to, into a big auditorium, you sing some hymns, then someone preaches or teaches. And then after that, they introduce another one who preaches and teaches. Then you sing a hymn, then you go to lunch, then you come back, then you sing a hymn, someone preaches and teaches. I mean, that's what it is. And everybody's all juiced up about this. So he told me, he said, my mom knows I've got to be different because I know this will be nothing but preaching and teaching. I can't believe I'm excited about this. And he invited his parents. He said he had no idea how they were going to take this when they went. But they came because he asked them to. (laughs) And after the first day, his mom says, and you like this? And he said, I love this. And she goes, Really? He goes, yeah. And he kind of explains a little bit, and she says, well, then I guess it's true. You weren't a Christian before, but you're certainly one now. And he, but he told me, and she kept asking questions, and I, I think if I got the story right, because after a while, people's stories kind of run together. About two or three later, two or three years later, she ended up becoming a believer. And then I think uh, her husband, that was his stepdad, I think ended up becoming a believer, because he, he called me and said they were now going to church, and his mom said, I now know what you mean. And so that's really cool. Yes, MJ. Reading the Bible the way you describe it as you're drawing more and more to it, or don't want to put it down, it's so exciting, so fascinating. Why would people say you worship the Bible instead of the God of the Bible? Well, it's hard to say why someone says that if you don't know the context of the conversation. So I don't know. People can say that for all kinds of reasons. You know, I, someone can say that because they're feeling guilty that they're not reading the Bible, or it could be that they're feeling bad because they're not excited. It could be a lot of things. So I have no idea why. Unless you know the context, it's kind of hard to even guess as to why they would be motivated to say that. But I would say this, 
Don't let it bother you. Okay. You know? All right, let's go on. So again, another preacher said this. He said, to know God means that you are always turned on about everything because you see God everywhere, in nature, in people you meet, in trials, hardships, challenges, everywhere. So sometimes language like that sometimes can make us feel kind of bad because we're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not always turned on about everything. What's he talking about? So just so you know, you cannot generate that on your own. You can't make it happen. So don't try. It's just the natural result of your walk with the Lord. And again, we respond differently. We experience emotions differently. But in, in a general sense, that can be true. I don't know how it is for everyone else. But I do know when... I knew Cindy before we ever started the date. But when we first started the, when we first started the date, I, had, I was young. So I already had a lot of energy. But I had an explosion of energy. After I, you know, all of a sudden I'm thinking, wow, I want to marry this girl. I was a janitor, and I had to work every night. And I had, depending on what night it was, anywhere from 10 to 15 office complexes that I had to clean. I was supposed to meet her one night at 9.30. I normally started work at 5 and got done at midnight. I had to get all these places cleaned. Man, was I motivated. I was running through every single place that I was cleaning. There was this incredible... Inc now, I didn't, I didn't say to myself, wow, to get done, I'm really going to, have to, I'm going to have to really move it. I didn't think that. I just did it. I don't know where the energy came from, but it was there. Man, I was flying through because I didn't miss anything. And... So what happened was it was, just, it, was a, it was just produced naturally by whatever you want to call it. So it's the same kind of thing when it comes to our walk with the Lord. Is remember, it's God who's the one who's changing our hearts. God is the one who's changing our minds. He's the one that's changing the way we think. You don't have to try and make it happen. We do want, we do want to change. We are learning things. We may even pick a certain study. Like, you know, some people say, well, I have a problem with anger. I want to study anger. And that's okay. And there's some really good books about, about that. Um, be careful, they don't always do that, but there's some good things about that, and so we can learn and we can kind of pour our heart and mind in, into learning those things. But again, the thing, the changes that take place in our lives is not because we make a checklist, though you might make a checklist to help yourself out, but the idea is, is the change comes from the inside out, and it is what God produces in us. That's why we talk about uh, the disciplines of, or the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, the reading of the Bible, the studying of the Bible, to meet, meeting together as believers, praying for others, having others pray for us. Everyone can participate in those things. No one is excluded from those things. It doesn't matter what your class is, your income. It doesn't even matter what your IQ is or your intellectual capacities. Those are things everyone can do. And God has designed us in such a way and designed those disciplines to be used by the Spirit of God to interact with the Word of God to bring about those changes in us. And it's phenomenal to see that take place. And um, it, the sad thing is we just happen to live in a very apathetic country where a lot of people, even believers sometimes, are very apathetic. And you just have to make sure you don't let them steal your joy. 
right? Don't let them steal your joy. If they want to be miserable, let them be miserable all by themselves. And you can pray for them, but don't let them pull you down. And again, remember, it doesn't mean that you're flippantly happy all the time. Because sometimes people can go through horrific times of great stress and yet really <laughs> feel a very strong sense of peace and contentment. You know, that deep joy, again, that's produced by God. And that's what he's getting at when, he, when he's emphasizing Christ is in us. It is the God of the universe, the one who's created all things from nothing. That is the one who indwells us as believers, which is a phenomenal thing. And as we then get in touch with that, not through mystical experiences, but through the common things of reading our Bible, studying the Bible, meeting with believers, worshiping God, praying for each other, praying with each other, being prayed for by others. That, that takes place. Yes, Ron? And Jesus said, uh, or, uh, Isaiah said of Jesus, mm -hmm. he was a man of sorrows mm -hmm. and acquainted with grief. Absolutely. So, and that, so we know that he identifies with everything that we go through. And, uh, and, and there is. There's plenty of grief in this world. We don't have to go looking for more of it. Um, it's out there. Um, and it's horrific. And I, again, my personal opinion is that most of us have been spared a great deal because of where we live. And that's God's merciful. Um, I, think, I think I had guilt. I think it lasted 15 years at least where I experienced great guilt for living in America and in particular living in Hawaii. Because, you know, you don't suffer a lot in Hawaii. I mean, it, there's a lot of financial strain there. It's a great place. And I used to, I used to feel guilty. Like, so when I, I would think about those who were suffering in other countries, and here I am, I'm sitting in traffic, but it's Hawaii. I'm not suffering. And I was like, God, I don't know why, why am I here? Why am I not somewhere suffering? Do I need to go somewhere so I can suffer? You know, it was, I went through that like literally for 15 years. Not every single day, but it was a common reoccurring thought that I had. Um, and the only thing that got me through that was reassuring myself that God is sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has me where he wants me. And if he wants me somewhere else, he'll put me there. And as long as I'm not trying to avoid it, like Jonah did, then I don't have to worry about it. And if I do try to avoid it, like Jonah did, then I too might get swallowed by something uh, and be delivered uh, to wherever. So, but it, but it had to go back to God, and he's the one who decides. And maybe it's because God, you know, people say, well, maybe it's because God knows that you couldn't handle that. Well, that's not a very positive thing, but maybe that's true. You know, I don't know. All I know is, is now I, I live in Georgia. Some people say, clearly, God moved you from Hawaii to Georgia to suffer something. No. Uh, <laughs> all right, but the point is, is that, that there's, a, there's a lot of stress relief when you realize, you know, it, it really is up to God. And I, I, I just, I can't, I can't do anything about it anyway. And so... And so, I, you know, the, the guilt is gone. And, again, we can enjoy the life that God has given us regardless of what it holds. And um, so we, just, we need to pay more attention, I think, to, to God who lives in us, the God of the Bible, and worry less about all those other kinds of things. 
Um, moving to another quote, this guy says that most Christians understand that Christ died for the forgiveness of their sins. They believe that, and they came to Christ because of that. But that is where most of them stop. Relatively few, it seems, ever go on to grasp the fact that Jesus died for them, that he might live in them. It is his life in them that is the source of power, change, and deliverance, and the ability to resist temptation. This is how loneliness is met and companionship is provided. It is not enough to know that Christ died in order that we might go to heaven. We are also to know, understand, and practice Christ actually living in us now. That really is an astonishing truth in the Bible. First, Jesus had to be both God and man in order to die in our place, to be raised again, ascend into the heavens, and send the Holy Spirit, and thus come into our life. Second, he had to do what he did in order that we might have what he is. We can never have this new power, this new source of energy, this new comfort and strength in our life if Jesus had not done what he did. It is on the basis of his death and resurrection that we have what he is. Third, we must have what he is in order to be what he was. And so as we think about that, every single one of us can live a life that is acceptable to God and will be used by God in the lives of other people. In the same way that God has used people in your life to encourage you, maybe, maybe it was the ones that brought you to the Lord, whatever the situation happens to be, there is many different people that God used in your life. Normally, it's just regular people just living out their faith as Christians. People who are imperfect, and, but striving to, to grow, and that's who influenced you, that's who impacted you, and we in turn want to do the same thing. Um, and uh, again, when we recognize that God... It's not that I got saved and you're just left on your own to, to make these things happen. It really is centered in, in Christ living in us. And just thinking about that uh, for several days, I think, can really help us to um, change our perspective on the life that we live. I think I've, I've told you a few stories before about my dad. Um, and he's, I would say that my dad's probably one of the greatest Christians I know. Part of that's because I know him and I know a lot about him. Uh, and he was very, in one sense, he was very quick-witted at times. But his approach to life, the more that I think about it, um, was like that. So, and this is a true story. I'm, I, don't have to, I don't have to make anything up for some of these bizarre things that he did, which seemed bizarre, but they weren't. And I know I've shared this with some of you, but there was a time he was in traffic. This is, we were, I grew up in Hawaii. So we're, he's in Hawaii, and he's in traffic trying to, trying to get to somewhere. And this guy slams him from behind. And my dad immediately gets up, gets out of the car and says, I am so glad you ran into me today. I mean, <laughs> and the guy's looking at him and the guy's like, what? He says, I'm so glad that you ran into me. The guy literally ran into him. He says, I'm so glad you ran into me. He says, because I know for a fact that God could have prevented this and he didn't because he wanted you and me to talk. Wow. And so then... My dad, my dad began to share with him who God was and the gospel and did it until the cops came. <laughs> then, then um, uh, we, were, uh, we had, we would, a lot of times we would have a church picnic at a place called Mukalea in Hawaii. So we were all out there and we were playing foot, flag football and 
is this nice, huge, big, flat field, and there's one hole in the ground, and my dad's running full speed, and that's where he steps, steps, snaps his leg in two. So we have to call, we have to call for the ambulance. I mean, it, it's his, he broke both the bones, his lower leg. He can't move. Had to call for the ambulance. Where we were, it takes a while to get there. Uh, and, and so they, they take him to the hospital. He's in an old-fashioned Army hospital, Tripler, Tripler uh, Army uh, uh, Medical Center. So basically what you would have is a room like this, but take out all the pews and then just line it with beds over here and beds over here. And that's the dorm. That's where all these patients are. And so my dad is laying, he's got this huge cast on and his legs up in the air. And um, they, they, uh, they put a guy in the bed next to my dad. And um, my dad introduces my, himself to, to this individual and this guy starts talking to my dad. And, and so my dad was just asking him normal questions and says, you know, well, why are you here? And he says, well, he says, I'm actually here on vacation with my family. And my dad said, oh, and so they're talking for a while. And, and as they do that, the guy then shares with my dad that the reason why they were there in Hawaii was because he and his wife were going to get divorced and they wanted to have one last happy trip with the kids before they told him. My dad says, now I know why God wanted me to break my leg someday. <laughs> and the guy says, what? He says, I know now why God wanted me to break my leg someday. He says, so I can share with you about Christ so that you can understand what Christ has done and perhaps save your family. And so they spoke for a couple of hours. The man ended up becoming a believer. Later that afternoon, the man's wife comes in and the guy says, you need to meet this guy. This guy is a preacher. And she's like, oh, really? And he said, yes, you should talk to him, which is kind of awkward for her. So they start to talk, and you know, my dad is, anyway, he starts talking to her and, of course, asking her questions, and two or three hours later, she becomes a believer, and then, they, then she would come in every day, and he would disciple them for about an hour every day for the next week, uh, and then they were getting ready to go back, I think it was to Kansas or someplace like that, and so he explained to them how to find a good church and gave them uh, his phone number and said, if you have problems finding a church, let me know, and I'll help you. And of course, this is before the internet. It's not like you can just kind of Google search. There was no Google. Um, but he would help them. And from what I remember is they called him back, and they had found the church, and they were going. They both ended up, they were both were baptized and uh, were, got involved in the church. And, were, and from what I know, I think the guy called my dad, I think five years later, uh, and said, oh, I wasn't sure if the number would still work. Do you remember me? and explained to my dad who he was and said, I just want to let you know that my wife and I are doing well. We now teach a couples class in Sunday school and just kind of, it's each of our kids have become believers. It was just incredible. So my, my dad, he really did view life that way. He, he did not, I mean, breaking his leg was incredibly painful and it was almost some kind of a, a bad movie in the, in the uh, ambulance because they put up a big plastic bubble around his leg and they pump up the air pressure and it immediately relieves the pain except this bubble had a leak and so they basically pumped it up and then he would start to go ah, and they pump it up again ah, pump it up again all the way to the hospital uh, <laughs> so you know all of that wasn't fun uh, but, there, but there are many many people uh, who do live their lives that way 
Um, and it's, it really is pretty exciting, to say the least, um, to live like that. And you may not always have opportunities in one sense of always being able to share the gospel with someone they, and, they, and they have a life-changing experience right at that moment. But you're going to have a part in it. Um, and who knows, you, you may be the first leg of that person's journey to Christ, or you may be the last leg to that person's journey to the Lord. But we can be a part of that. But we can miss it if we're not in tune with God. And being in tune with God is not some mystical thing. It's an awareness that you have. And that awareness comes from reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, praying with believers, worshiping with believers, praying for each other, having others pray for you. And, that's, and that it comes. And it's really a, a great thing uh, to experience. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I remember one time I thought my dad was going to get punched because uh, I went visiting with my dad and he asked, the, he asked the man, are you a Christian? And the man said, yes, I am. And my dad said, how do you know you are? And the man said, I was born in America. And my dad said, if I sit in your garage, am I a car? <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking... <laughs> You're like, what in the world? <laughs> but the guy just said, well, no. He said, well, how in the world does being born in America make you a Christian? And the guy said, well, I don't know. I just thought it did. <laughs> and my dad said, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but let me tell you. And then he gets back into the gospel again. Uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty great. So uh, the Lord, and then the Lord protected him because one more story and then we'll pray. So my dad was in the Navy. My dad's in the Navy. He's enlisted. He's not a chaplain. He's in the Navy. He's in Naval Intelligence. And uh, not everybody uses a lot of good language. And uh, in the office he was in, there was a new ensign who used a lot of four-letter words incessantly. And so they happened to be in the bathroom on the same, at the same time. And my dad says, man, I'd love to meet your mother. And the guy says, why? He says, man, she's done such an incredible job of teaching you the English language. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, you said what? And I said, so what did he say? And the guy said, what do you mean? He says, well, you've got them four-letter words down. And he says, and you are offending a lot of the women in the office. And if I was you, I would stop doing that. I said, what did the guy say? He just said, yes, sir. Okay. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I said, uh, the Lord can protect us when we do dumb things. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's exciting nonetheless. So anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your kindness and grace. We just thank you, Lord, again for the truth of your word. And, and in particular, Father, the truth of Christ in us. Father, that is a, a concept that on one hand we can talk about and we can read about and, and we do experience it to a degree, but one Lord that still, no matter how much we have read and no matter how much we've thought about it, is still a difficult thing to truly grasp and to wrap our minds around. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to think, to dwell on this fact. We ask, Lord, that we would think of this in terms of our daily life and when we read the word of God and as we live. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to understand experientially what this means. 
to know Christ in this way and to realize that Christ is in us. We pray, Lord, that we would maybe seek your help even more to overcome temptation, to live a life that is maybe more pleasing to you, to perhaps be a little more assertive in speaking to others about Christ. We pray, Lord, also we'd have, again, that assurance that we belong to you, and that nothing's ever going to change that, and that we have a hope that others don't have, that regardless of what happens in the world, regardless of of the kinds of securities that we have that one day may disappear, that we know for a fact that we're going to be with you for all of eternity, that we will be safe with you, and that a day is coming when we will be changed and we will be with you and everything that is evil will be gone. We pray, Lord, you help us to recognize how much that affects us even now while we don't think about it much and how much more it can affect us if we think about it more. We thank you again, Father, for this great assurance that you give us. And so, Father, we pray that you would give to us the boldness that we need to live life to the fullest and to live it for your glory. Dismiss us, Father, with your grace this evening. And we do ask these things in Christ's name.